Welcome in, welcome in, welcome once again to the newest edition of Three In, Three Out. I am your host, Clinton Bonner. Find me out on Twitter at Clinton Bon, and I am joined by the one, the only, the great Brandon Schultz. You can find him out on Twitter at Seahawkers Pod. And today we're talking Tavoinen, 45 minutes of FCF Tavoinen wide receivers, Brandon. Wait, wait a second. What? What now? What are we talking about? (laughs) We're just going to talk FCF players. It won't be Jameel, fan control football, and that the Seahawks went out and got got Tavoinen. North Dakota guy. And we can fill 44 more minutes with the FCF talk. Oh, right? was he an FCF before? guy? Yeah, man. He was, oh. I think he was a, he was a zapper or he was a glacier <laughs> boy. He might've played for all of them. So, you know, cause they have, they have those rules there, but yeah, Tavoinen is a, is an FCF uh, stud. Yeah. When I saw on field goals that it was, you know, this is the player that you've never heard of. Uh, who was on the Seahawks roster. I went, yep, I've never heard of him. And I watched <laughs> FCF Clinton. So and I still didn't know of him. If his name's not Andrew Jamil and he's a wide receiver, I probably don't know who he is. I, I understand that. we, You and I both have a man crush on Jamil and still think that he could probably play at slot in the NFL because on a smaller field, he got open all the time. But Tavoyne is, is kind of a bigger receiver, and he caught a lot of touchdowns. You know, okay. So whatever that's worth, a lot of contested balls, a lot, big body, I think 6'2 or something like that. And he just, you know, the dude caught a lot of touchdowns in the FCF and was definitely a standout there. So kind of cool to see, seeing as you and I are owners part yes. owners of of rival teams it's always good to see when our when our boys make it to the big leagues well we're, we're rivals there but we are not rivals when it comes to the seahawks and you know we're going to be talking more nfc west and ranking some of the positions that we passed on before clinton probably get into some russell wilson i see phil is here so we're going to be talking some pain games clubber yes. lang style so uh <laughs> looking forward to that and of course we are recording via locker room so you know, after after we get about 15 minutes in, raise your hand and let us know if you want to be brought into the discussion and uh, we can chat about whatever you want to chat about. But why don't you say we kick things off with probably the most notable position in terms of importance to a franchise. And let's talk tackles, Clinton. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're going to be going through our we've been doing this little series of going through, you know, NFC West our opponents plus Seattle and looking at the best, the best, the top three players, uh, you know, throughout, throughout different positions. And now we're, now we're careening into the offensive line and we're, we're going to talk tackle first. So, you know, Oh, Jack talk tie, Jack talk tie very well. So if we're going to go tackle, Brandon, do you, do you want to go first? I think there's, I think there's a, a pretty, you know, one on a T there for you, if you will, maybe that's a hint, maybe a little foreshadowing with the T, but if you want to take it away, the first one, I'll, I'll defer. Okay, well, yeah, the the twenty million dollar man who just signed with San Francisco this off season and played with Washington for all those years took a year off. Trent Williams to the 49ers. To me, it's uh, it's pretty clear cut. He may be, gosh, he might even be. He's at least in the top three in the NFL. So if not the first, so it's uh, it's a pretty easy pick for me when you narrow it down to the NFC West that Trent Williams is going to be the number one guy. Yeah, and and I look back just to just to remind myself of the the fleecing that that took place there. So the Niners traded a 2025th and a 21 a 2021 third rounder to the uh, the Washington Football Team there, and they got a, just an All Pro and a pro, and Pro Bowler, a pro, you know, every year Pro Bowler and All Pro Trent Williams. The dude grades out amazingly well. I know you just can't go to PFF and do, okay, that says everything. However. You know, it is good. It is certainly good to gauge against other folks. And you could look and say, 
All right, the guy's an elite, elite run blocker and also a really darn good pass blocker and a key cog in Shanahan's system there. When you could go nail down a left tackle like that for a couple of scratch lottery tickets, you know, in, in back back to back years like that, it's it's a great trade for the Niners. And he play he showed out last year too. So to me, like the the standout there was Trent Williams. Still kind of pissed that that trade actually happened. Uh, remember, remember not liking it that day and, and still still not liking it. The one thing I'll say about uh, probably a lot of the folks we're going to talk about, they've got some they've got some wisdom with them, right? He's going to turn thirty three this year. Before the year the year even starts, I think he has a birthday in July. So, you know, Trent's not a young man, but he's had a very, very solid career. And I think he's going to continue continue on for at least a few more seasons. That was one of the things that jumped out at me when compiling the list of especially the offensive linemen, how it well, it's tough to really project some of the young guys because, you know, spoiler for me. Uh, Damian Lewis was not on my list of interior guys. And yes, he was called out as what pro football writers of America as one of the top rookie offensive linemen. And I just, I don't know. I think there's a sense of consistency that has to go along with an offensive lineman before I put him among, you know, just within the top three, even within the NFC West. So that's where my mind was at. And with that said, that's what leads me to number two. I know you let me lead off with number one. You kind of led me into it. And so I think both of us were there. Let's see if we are at number two. Dwayne Brown was my number two because, again, it is consistency and not just that, but a, a complete player in terms of being able to run block well, pass block well, and an all pro, pro bowl tackle. So for me, number two is Dwayne Brown. And I love seeing Dwayne this year. Dwayne this year in particular, like the the Seahawks did a lot more like student body left this year than they had in a couple of years past. A lot of, like just like a toss sweep to Carson kind of came back this year. So you got to see these these kickouts by by Brown where he's, you know, eight, 10, 12 yards downfield plowing a dude over. And it was, you know, it was extremely reminiscent of Walter Jones and Sean Alexander uh, heyday, which was just super cool to see. So so I enjoyed that quite a bit. Dwayne Brown's absolutely on my podium as well. Now, Brandon, I must say, I didn't go tackle, 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 you know, like interior, interior, interior. So, so we, so I had just two tackles on my, on my top three. So we may have to, you know, we have, we have to pivot. Although I have a long list of honorable mentions I can go to, Damian Lewis being one of them. But back to Dwayne Brown for a second, you know, okay, yeah, 13 year career here. He, the year previous, it seemed like, okay, it, he's, he's, he's good, but maybe degrading a little bit. Last year, he was just straight up. Good. There was no that didn't look like degradation, didn't look like anything like that. He was just a a stud left tackle again. And maybe he's top five in the league, maybe, but he's certainly top seven, top eight. I think he's in that upper echelon still. And I'm hoping that as he gets into his uh, into his mid-30s at this point, basically, that he has some of the some of these extended careers, and maybe some of the players we'll talk about in a little bit as well. Yeah, already older than Walter Jones, so it is a bit of a concern. But it, when we're talking about tackles, uh, it brings me to the guy who I had in my number three spot. And yeah, you can look at the Arizona Cardinals and say DJ Humphreys, their mm -hmm, left tackle. Mm -hmm. You know, he got a big payday and probably one of the younger guys on the list. But for me, I don't think he was my number three. And again, it depends on how we rank these if you're taking a guy and, and projecting out long term but if i'm just looking for a guy for one year the the fact that humphreys has had more success now 
with Kyler Murray at quarterback. I, I just wonder if that bails him out a little bit because he didn't have as much success until Murray showed up. So for me, I got to go with the really long term veteran. And that's Andrew Whitworth of the Rams, who I, I can't even believe the guy is still playing going into this year, 39 years old. And uh, if I were if I were just to count on a guy who over time is incredibly consistent, a, a guy who can still put it together and protect a quarterback, especially a pocket type quarterback. Uh, for me, the, the number three guy in the division is Whitworth. Yeah, I think it, it, there's him and and or. You know, I had a couple of dudes, and again, I, I compiled, uh, they were both in my honorable mentions, but but Whitworth, and I'll go through who that is, Whitworth is going to turn 40 this year in December. And he's kind of like, you know, if you if you do have Trent Williams or you do have Dwayne Brown, or, you know, or like us, we have Dwayne Brown, it's uh, it's kind of like you kind of hope for this <laughs> this sunset, th- these golden years from from your left tackle, because Whitworth has done it at a, it's still a very high caliber level. And this was what? The year previous off of a you know a, a season ending injury correct or right. like it was what it, what happened he kind of came back later if i recall but he but had a, a bad knee injury but a very very serious knee injury yeah so and everybody was like oh he's probably done he's likely done and then lo and behold no the dude's back out there and it is it is just it is straight up consistency and and with humphreys i think it's interesting that you bring up too that he hasn't really started to show out all that much until he got a a very extremely quick slippery mobile quarterback who is in the very, very early years of his career and still has like those kind of those kind of legs that that kind of wiggle at this point. So I'm with you. I think it's uh, you know, very often in life it's a youth movement. Well, right now it's it's, it's the antithesis of that on a three and three out. Whitworth, the old man coming in at 40 years old this year, he's my third tackle as well. Yeah, MCL injury is what uh, sidelined him. And I, I think that happened early in the season. Then he made it back for the playoffs against the Seahawks. So I think that was yeah. that was all within the same season. So uh, yep. for a guy that age, and you and I know, Clinton, because he's almost 40. Yeah, recovering from an injury like that and then being able to play with all these young guys out there, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I shared with you before the podcast started that I fell like a, I fell like a, I'm, I'm 43 and I fell like a 43 year old yesterday on a mountain bike off a curb. And I think I, I think I have a, a shoulder issue to now contend with come Monday morning when I go see my doctor. So yes, it, it's one of those things that you have to just be like, wow, this guy can still play at that level at that age. And he's got a hundred um, pounds on you. <laughs> yes, sir. And, and probably about a, probably about a foot as well. So but uh, but he's a heck of a player. I would like to say though, I think if if we are going to throw an honorable mention out there specifically for the uh, you know the tackles, yeah, I do think I do think McGlinchey from the the Niners specifically. The dudes, I mean, when I go back and watch some of the, some of them, there like he's a very good run blocker. Mm-hmm. He, he's and maybe he gives up a little bit in pass pro, and and I, I don't watch it that closely to know, but I but I do remember. Watching him blow, you know, blow some of our dudes off the line, blow, you know, just blowing some of our ends off, or just just getting to the second level and just causing havoc. So, I, and I think McGlinchey is is also quite a good tackle. If I had to look at the the pair, I do think the Niners kind of take the cake in terms of their their pair of tackles in the NFC West. Yeah, it would be Niners for me, then probably Rams because Havenstein was on my honorable mention list. Yeah, he's and good then too. between the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Man, because Beecham plays on the right side for the Cardinals, Shell, it might be a wash when it comes to those two teams in terms of who they have out at tackle. 
and and the thing that I know I know we're going to talk about a certain Arizona Cardinal in a little bit, and it's it's leading into the idea that when you look at some of the honorable mentions, you look at some of the folks that are making the podium. It's like wow, that trade they that they made. And probably giving away the uh, the answer here for that guy. It just it looms so large for the NFC West because I think they had the coming into the year it looks looks to me like the the weakest of the of the offensive lines until they made the trade for the guy that they're bringing in, which which might be a big time game changer for them. Well, let's go right there because we wanted to break this down in terms of the different positions on the offensive line, but also. Trying to go guard center when you're ranking the the top three centers uh, for one in the NFC West, you're probably I don't know. It's just not going to be that great of a list. So I wanted to combine the interior guys, guards and centers within one grouping. And yeah, Clinton, you you were, I think, going to the guy who I would put at number one right now. Yeah, I'll take I'll take it from there and, and take the baton. The Rodney Hudson trade is just looming so big for the NFC West right now. It's like, okay, again, not a young man. He's going to be 32 years, 32 years old when this begins. And it's another one of these things. The Raiders gave up him in a seventh and got back a third round pick. It's like, it's like Mayock and, and freaking Gruden. Like, what, what are you doing? You were, they were pretty okay on as actually they were a, a good offensive line last year, at least, at least average. And they, they just, you know, they just kicked their center of the curb. Thankfully, we'll probably talk about another gentleman that came from the Raiders in a bit. But when I looked at the, like I said, when I looked at the honorable mentions, I'm like, man, the Cardinals, they're okay across the line, but they're not that good. But but a center, you know, the left tackle and then the center are going to be the two biggest pieces uh, by, by far, right? And Hudson has been, you know, year after year after year, just, just a top ranking guy. We're talking like five, six years in a row. Um Last year, a little bit down. However, we're going to see the same exact pattern with a guy that came to the Seahawks coming from the same exact area. And I think it's more about the system and, and the, the culture of what was happening there versus what he gets to go do out in the desert now. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with Gabe Jackson in Seattle. But in terms of Rodney Hudson going to the Cardinals, that hurt me a little bit, especially seeing the need for the Seahawks at center if if you were to ask me, you know, Rodney Hudson for a third or Gabe Jackson for a fifth, I, I would definitely take Rodney Hudson for a third. And even with the issues that they had going into this draft of having limited picks, I guess they well, they didn't have a third to give up. So do you give up a second and and not get a guy like Dwayne Eskridge? That's where I, I look at the potential impact of a player and I say, well, OK, Eskridge and Jackson may be better than. Rodney Hudson and a fifth round receiver. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I guess it's it's a you know we'll know we'll know in a little bit, right? Now, Hudson's Hudson's not a young man, and obviously Eskridge. Uh, well, Eskridge is not exactly a young young rookie either. However, um, I've been clamoring for that type of player. Excited that we got him, and very excited to see what kind of energy he's going to bring. Uh, so far, you know, the, of course, the, you love those. The the early uh, you know the spring training type type practices right where it's like uh, it's like oh this guy's jumping off the page this guy's this, this guy caught a touchdown and it's like okay yeah, they, they're supposed to they they don't have, they're not pads on yet things of that nature right so um, very excited to see Eskridge if you but if you're flat asking me w- would I have made the deal a second rounder I think so I mean yeah. obviously they they had to give up a little bit less but maybe instead of getting you know but remember they got back a seventh and Hudson so maybe it becomes something like oh. You get a fifth and Hudson for a second, 
And then, you know, there could be a little bit more compensation there because the second to third's a pretty big jump. Specifically this year, there was a lot of talk about there being kind of a big cliff, right? Like really getting up into, into that second round and then, then there being potentially a big drop off because of a lot of unknowns. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes, but yeah, Hudson's just a, he's, he's just a great, he's going to be, you know, it's, it's like every, every year he's a, he's a top one, two, three center. This is going to change their team for the better. And that's not good for our Hawks. And the other thing that I noticed in ranking these players is that after Rodney Hudson, trying to find the next best guard or center in the division, it's not easy. There is a big shelf from Hudson to the next player for me. And my number two is Lakin Tomlinson of the 49ers. And again, I'm looking at guys who are, are, they have that ability to run block and pass block. And over the past you know, six, seven seasons in terms of consistency, a guy who's never given up more than three or four sacks in a season doesn't allow a whole lot of quarterback hits. And to me, that that was the next best guy for me. Yeah, he was he was right there for me, too. And I was I was looking at either going with the Homer route, which maybe maybe we'll save that for the for the uh, the bronze medal and just put it there. But also just kind of rounding out the idea that the 49ers line is really good because guess what? Alex Mack is a pretty good center. You know, he's, he's also, he's also good. So he was kind of right there for me as well. I do like your pick, um, you know, just slightly better with that. It's, it's, we're talking like they probably got the best tackle pairing. They have, they have a solid guard. They have a solid center. That's a good line. They just have a very good line, which is, which is not surprising. I mean, that the, the Shanahan offense, what they do, um, it's it's going to be again. They maybe maybe they don't have a quarterback. You know, Jimmy G. I don't think is is the thing. And we'll see what Trey Lance is all about. Uh, maybe by week two, three, or four, we'll see how that all shakes. Uh, but I do think across the board, it's fairly easy to say the Niners have the best overall offensive line um, just by you know just by looking at the stuff that we did this week. Yeah. So okay. Well, the the third one for me, I'll, I'll let you take the third because uh, you sure. you were maybe going the Homer route. And I I do not have a Seahawks player in my top three. Gotcha. Well, I I did go Gabe Jackson, and I realized that Gabe Jackson over I, Damian Lewis. Okay. Well, no, and I like Damian Lewis a lot, but we're one year in, right? Yeah. So we're, we're one year in, and he's moving from the right side to the left side. And I like Damian Lewis. I think he, I am ecstatic that that he's he, you know he's young and he's there for quite a while. However, you know Gabe Jackson's been good for a number of years. He wasn't quite the same last last year. Was like. Eh, you know, kind of middle of the road is basically what Gabe Jackson was. However, I really look at that and say, well, you know, so was so was Hudson. I mean, Hudson, well, Hudson was not as good as he typically was. What I'm thinking is that that was a culture thing. I think that team had some culture rot. They have just no leadership. The Raiders were talking about no direction. They jettison another quality offensive lineman this time for a fifth rounder. And I just have this this feeling that the change of scenery, the new culture, just a better team, a much better quarterback that we were going to get the Gabe Jackson of like two to three years ago. And that's going to be a delight for us because we start building around this. All right. We don't have the, we don't have the big name center. That's okay. We do have two, two very good guards. We have a outstanding uh, left tackle and we have a, at least, at least a competent right tackle as well. Maybe better, but I want to see that for year two as well. But again, put that in reverse from like two years ago, three years ago, where this line was, Brandon, we're actually, I think we're rolling in with one of our stronger lines 
yeah, you know, probably since like the, 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 the 2012, 2013 era. Yeah. With all of the other talent that Seattle has, you say, okay, put together an average offensive line and put together an average defense. And with all the weapons that you have and some of the playmakers on defense, I think that that's what gives you the talent to be able to, to make a deep run in the playoffs. So yeah, do they have a, a stacked team in terms of talent? Not when you compare it to, to some of the other teams, but Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson on the offense. And then, yeah, I, I think you're right. In terms of the offensive line, it's uh, it has the potential to be, I don't know, top 10, but even if it can be average, that's that's all I'm looking for as a Seahawks fan. Yeah, if they could be top 13, top, you know, something like that, just a little little better than than the the the, the, the par there, then fantastic. And I would say I think we're trending towards a better than average defense. I know I know that the cornerback challenges there. It's like can can Akello be the guy? We'll 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 see. We'll see what happens there. And that to me that's a big big scene missing. And we still have some linebacker, you know, things to figure out and and who will be there and who won't be there. However, we talked about it previously. I do think our defensive line, just to talk about it for two seconds, is really, really deep this year where they where they can get the advantages of bringing the guys like Mayo in, you know, even Hyder in with with limited snaps and just hey, go go do go do the thing you're best at, go get the quarterback. Um, and I think we're gonna be, I think we're gonna surprise the NFL to the upside, especially the national media. The national media is just, you know, they they they're dumb. The national media thinks we don't have an offensive line. We basically still can't rush the passer, right? right? You start talking to you know and people that cover the NFC West and of course fans of the team, completely different story. So from a national perspective, I think it's going to be like week six and like whoa, Seahawks are like you know fifth or sixth in sacks and and they're just they're just known for putting like just haunting consistent pressure on these guys because our rotation is going to be so deep and so fresh. Very much looking forward to that. All right, Clinton. Well, let's move on to tight ends. And this is going to be an interesting conversation because, again, there's a pretty significant shelf here from the number yeah. one pick to who might be number two or even number three. I mean, and across the across the NFL, it, this is just a, a funky position. It, it's, it's kind of the haves and have nots uh, in the sense that either you have like, you know, a top well, there are the, there's the obvious top three at this point, and then there's the second tier guys like uh, I would say guys like a, like a Logan Thomas from a Washington football team that emerged last year that are, that look that look just outstanding, and, you're like, and like uh, Tunyon from the Packers that look really really good. And with that, there's not that you know the NFC West is is it's a, it's a huge drop off, and obvious the obvious number one is George Kittle. There's not there's not going to be debate there. The the only thing you could talk about Kittle is. He he's been, you know, he's he has had injuries in his early career. I think it's because the way the guy plays. Yeah, with you know, as he, physical as he plays, yeah, he, he's going yeah. to get banged up. Exactly. It, it's it's I don't I don't it's it's kind of to be expected, right? And if he could put together a, a season where he plays anywhere from 14 to 17 games um at 90% or better health, he's a monster. He's he is very good. I know I know there's a lot of hate for George Kittle out on Seahawks Twitter. Um, I don't particularly get it. I understand you can maybe not like the guy, but but just kind of appreciating what, what kind of tight end he is. Oh, it's and the, the dr- kind of it's the same kind of hate that I think 49ers fans had for Richard Sherman when Sherman was on the Seahawks. Yeah, I think that's exactly I think that's perfectly stated. Like if, if he's your dude, 
you pretty much love that guy. That's everything you want in, in your in your teammate. And if you're a rival of his, yes, that kind of hate could bubble up really, really quickly because because of how good he is. And and you know, he's 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 outspoken, right? That's that's how he's 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 uh, you know, flamboyant. Yeah, he gets he's under there. your nerve. Or, yeah, he yeah, gets absolutely. under your skin. Yeah. On your yeah. nerves. <laughs> gets under what, your nerves, what, even. He gets he's he's in my nerves, this guy, with with Kittle. But one thing I will say is that I do expect a bit of, even if he's healthy, I do expect a bit of a regression in terms of just pure stats. Not that he still won't be a clear top three, top five tight end. And it's simply because like I think the Niners have done a nice job getting, you know. If Debo is healthy and Ayuk is healthy, they've done a nice job of putting some other weapons out there where like Kittle was racking up gigantic numbers when it was like, you know, like Pettis was the one there or something like that. They're a much better wide receiving core than they were two years ago. If they're if they're two starting wide receivers stay stay healthy, um, he'll still put up big numbers, but I actually don't think it'll be like like Kelsey style this year. Well, moving on to number two for me, Clinton, this is this was probably the easiest one after George Kittle. Number two in the NFC West is injured George Kittle. And that's <laughs> yeah, Yes, he does get the Russell Wilson treatment there. Right. So and, and he does and he does deserve it because he because he has played quite banged up and still put up big numbers. I like it. The other thing that I got to thinking when ranking tight ends in the NFC West would be if you're going to rank them in terms of fantasy value versus team value. Sure. And going into 2021, I could see a lot of people putting Tyler Higby then at number two, just in terms of fantasy value, pairing him with Matthew Stafford. And you know Stafford was especially earlier on in his career was, you know, he was all about throwing to the tight ends. He's kind of got away from that here in recent years, and they drafted the the tight end, hopefully, you know, to to get that dynamic back to the Detroit offense last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really materialized the same way that it did early in his career. But when I'm looking at guys at tight end, I, I want complete players. I want a guy who can run block. I want a guy who can pass block. And in 2020, there was one player, especially, and if you filter out in terms of the number of snaps, you know, George Kittle kind of falls off because of the number of injuries that it, you know, kept him out of games last season. The number one ranked tight end with run blocking and pass blocking in the NFC West was Will Disley. So Uncle I'm going to take Will. him, Uncle Will, as my number two. What a twist. This is, uh, you know, that that's I love it. It's interesting. It's it's a great uh, it's a great something. Yeah, this is a Seahawks podcast, so why not? The upside is very interesting. Obviously, you know there there might be another Seahawk uh, Seahawk tight end on this list potentially, um, who just came in with with, uh, with Gerald Everett, and I just don't know how much unless they like last year. The big thing we talked about a lot was, oh man, we're going to see a lot of twelve personnel. Like this is going to be super cool. We're going to see we ha- we actually have a good tight end room. We're going to see some twelve personnel, and we didn't really get a lot of that. We just didn't did not get much of that at all. So Disley didn't you know he didn't have uh, obviously coming from another another disastrous injury and welcome back with that. He, he was, he, he looked a little bit slower potentially. And like, maybe he lost a step after two, two crushing injuries, but he's still good. He is still good. And he is a darn good, you know, darn good blocker as well. You mentioned Hawkinson earlier from, from the lions. I think, I mean, just, you know, Hawkinson and Stafford, although it's a very young career for Hawkinson so far, He's he's a, a tight end on on the rise for sure. Interesting yeah. team this year. We'll see what happens. They, they they have no wide receivers really whatsoever. So he he actually from a fantasy perspective should get should get lots of love in that in that offense. 
for me, I'm still, my second though, still Brandon here. I still like Higby and it, it's on the promise of what that tail end of 2019 was. Okay. Well, I already picked number two. So officially you have to put Higby at number three. Fine. That's fine. If you want, you want to put, uh, you want to put Uncle Will in the, in the silver, the Nancy Kerrigan. That's, that's all good. I'll still, I will put Higby over Everett. Uh, and again, specifically that, that stretch in 2019 down the stretch, like the last, last seven or eight games, he was on fire. He was absolutely on fire. And we got to see that as Seahawks fans. In fact, we got to see both Everett and Higby kind of tear us up at, at different, at different points. Um, so it'll, it'll be what you said earlier. Now that he has Stafford, now that, Everett's not there and Higby becomes like the kind of undisputed one. And maybe Everett does that for Seattle. I think Higby has that, that potential to be, you know, be a top five type, top, top five, top six tight end NFL wide in that offense. We'll see if he gets there. But, but for me, he was, he was definitely on the podium. In terms of when I consider run blocking, pass blocking, I might even put him behind Max Williams down in Arizona. And, you know, Gerald Everett was right there too. In terms of the tight end that I would want from the Rams, Gerald Everett was the guy for me because, yeah, yeah sure. okay, he's had a couple down years, but I think he has more of that potential in terms of being a complete guy, whereas I just, I don't see it. And yes, as far as a pass catcher goes, Higby, yeah. I, I know we've seen a lot of drops from him too, but I do think that he is going to be in position for a, a big receiving year with Matthew Stafford throwing him the football. Yeah, and and you know, it, it, when we're talking these kind kind of players, I like the fact that you're really going back to the other thing that tight ends are supposed to do, right? Just be, be good uh, yeah. protection people and and good blockers uh, and good run blockers as well. Um, which again puts Kittle. That's why Kittle is even that much better. He's a fantastic run blocker too. I mean, Everett Everett absolutely might be there, but it would be hard to have Everett and Uncle Will as as a potential two three. Um, but maybe, maybe we do get that. That'd be fantastic to see. You did, you did mention hey, Russell, Max, but- Russell said best tight end group in the league. So here we go. Russell says lot. Russell says lots of things. <laughs> so Russell says lots of things about his team and you know, I love him for it. We, we gotta be, we gotta be homers for our own guys. Gotta rah, rah your own guys. But I do like our tight end room. I do. I did like the Everett acquisition. I think it's, I think it's solid one year. See what we get. Let's rock and roll. You did mention Max Williams, which kind of showcases which, by the way, folks might be like, who the hell is Max Williams? You know, Max with two X's. He's the Arizona Cardinals um, right now. They're, they're tight, end, tight end one. Last year, it was like Dan Arnold who went to the Panthers. You might be like, who the hell is Dan Arnold? Well, he was their guy last year. Um, just kind of spells out that the Cardinals don't have a very good tight end group whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, Williams had eight receptions last year. Eight. Now, is he, you know, is he definitely a, a pretty darn good blocker that 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 Six guy on the line there. Yeah, he is. He's 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 good in that in that aspect of the game. We'll give give some credit there. But he had eight receptions last year. That's not that's not great. No, that's not a lot. <laughs> not a lot. It's not a lot. So um, so I just just but say he has you might two want to X's in his first name. So uh, you know, for me, that even puts him above Higby. Yeah, he has an X for every <laughs> for X for every fourth reception he got. This guy, right? It's a, it's it's divisible for him. So. I'd say the tight end group overall, you got, you got, you have Kittle and then, and then there's, like you said, a big, big drop off, but I really think like, that's kind of the way it goes in the NFL. Anyway, I like the fact that very simply, did we upgrade Did the Seahawks upgrade our position at tight end this year? The answer is absolutely. Yes. Did other teams upgrade Rams? You lost Everett. You know, you already had Higby. Uh, Niners. Well, you had Kittle. He's a year older. Has, he's had several injuries. 
Zona. We just talked about Max Williams for far too long on any podcast <laughs> ever. So from a, from a Delta Cardinals fans are saying Max Williams is on our team. <laughs> <laughs> there are no Cardinals fans. Come on. Um, from a Delta standpoint, whereas other positions, you know, might come and go for other folks, we probably had the biggest positive Delta out, out of the four teams in the tight end group. So that is something I can anchor on. All right, Clinton. Well, we got Phil waiting in the wings here to, to give us some pain rankings. And uh, what do you say we move into it? Very nice. I think we have to get like a little a little uh, audio file made for him, like a little pain games, you know, something, something like that. So we could bring bring him in with, with proper fashion. How are you doing, Phil? Hey, guys, how are you? Maybe a uh, Clover Lang sound sound bite prediction. intro. That would be that would be beautiful. Pain. What's the prediction? <laughs> you can count on pain. Very good. How are you guys doing today? I, I kind of want to watch some Rocky movies now. When I, I yeah, think man. about Clover Lang, I think of all the great names in the Rocky universe. I mean, you got Rocky Balboa, you got Apollo Creed, you got Clover Lang. Uh, Sylvester yeah. Stallone, he knew what he was doing when he was writing in these characters. All right, quick, quick trivia before we get to the pain games. Who, who is Stallone fighting at the beginning of Rocky? At the very beginning? Yeah, well, the, the Rocky, Rocky. Yeah. The, the very, the, the, who's the first guy he's fighting at the beginning of Rocky? And then he makes an appearance later in Rocky Balboa. Oh, I do not wow. know. Good question. Because he fights Apollo at the end of the first movie. Yes. yes. And then so the, again and at the, the second. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if anybody in the chat could could knows it, but uh, I I certainly do. Give it give it ten more seconds. So it's the the question is who is Rock who does, who's Rocky fighting in the in the first you know Rocky the the, oh, the Oscar winning uh, film there who is he fighting it towards the very beginning of the movie who also comes back and is a has a fairly major role you know like a nice nice side role in Rocky Balboa Polly's robot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The answer is Paulie's nice. robot from Rocky Four. It's a it's a it's a time theft thing that they're doing just like Endgame. It's just like that. And he says, Happy birthday, Paulie, and then and then Rocky knocks him out. Very, very true. The answer is Spider Rico. Spider Rico Whoa, for the Daily Double. Spider right Rico. There. Never so, would have pulled that. All right. That the second movie ruined any real fight that I ever saw. I don't know about you guys, because growing up, you, that was like my first experience of watching boxing. And then you watch a real match and it's like, well, this is not <laughs> this is like nothing like Rocky. <laughs> yeah. What is this? I, I don't know. I mean, I think yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm 43. So to, uh, on a boxing divergence for a yes, second, me too. I kind of grew up with the with the the golden age of pay-per-view Mike Tyson. So like you had you had the dude, right? You had Mike Tyson yes. and you had and you had NES with Mike Tyson's punch out. So. I kind of think that boxing, and then you had, you had Holyfield. So, you know, the, the Tyson and Holyfield, that the '80s and, and early '90s, it was a pretty great heyday for for boxing. I must say, it still wasn't you know winding up and and punching a guy in the jaw like three or four straight times <laughs> while he's still on his feet. Listen, the master of disaster could do whatever he wants in the ring. All right, so that that's the way it that's goes. But yeah, but, games and, right there. That's what it, last week felt a little bit like just taking a beating too much. I thought I, I felt sad for you guys by the time we finished the, the broadcast last week. So I thought we'd turn it around the other direction. I don't know about you. Are you guys ready to, how about bringing the pain somewhere else? Would you, would we rather do that for a change? Yes. Let's deliver <laughs> some pain. I like it. Okay. So I'm a Matt t- today is my uh, wife and I's 17th anniversary. We like to go out and happy uh, anniversary. Imagine you happy were gonna... anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you very much. So imagine you were going to go to Schadenfreude, which I can never say that word, Schadenfreude restaurant. Schadenfreude. 
job and try restaurant. And I was going to be your server and you're going to, we're going to bring in the pain and you have three courses at our restaurant. You're going to, you're going to enjoy feasting upon some pain, but not for yourself. You're going to watch the opponent experience pain. And so I thought you guys could pick from three categories again, this time, if the Seahawks are going to inflict pain upon the opponent, we're not going to wish for injury. So that's off the table here, but inflicting pain by way of one of these categories, execution, being clutch, or playmaking, what would be your first course that you're going to order for this broadcast here this time at the restaurant? Execution. <laughs> Execution. Okay, that's perfect. And this one, I think, ties in with the, the previous, with the rest of the show. Um because with execution, I put two options for bringing the pain. What would you prefer? You I get, choose you to execute two. George Kittle. Oh, sorry. <laughs> George Kittle. Oh, that's that's a little cold blooded right there. I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, no. You, you're, you're, you're talking about execution in a different way. I, I, I apologize. Yes, that's right. My wife always is accused of having FOMO, and she really does like if she's picking one, she doesn't get to have the other. And that's a hard thing for her. But this is true. You're at the restaurant. You got to pick here. Okay. Will it be blocking or a smothering defensive line? In other words, they can't rush the passer. They can't stop our run. And they just have to feel the pain of not touching Russell. And we just run it down their throat. Or you get a smother them. Like this, is, this will be the rule for the 2021 Seahawks. Our defense just brings out the sacks, TFLs everywhere. We just count on that. You get smothering defense or dominant blocking. What would you pick for your first course? Ooh, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go for the, the seafood tower here. I'm going to, you know, man, I am a defense wins championships kind of guy. I don't care if it's the NHL or MLB. Give me the two, one game. Give me the, give me the one, nothing Stanley cup final triple overtime. I like myself some defense specifically. I like the 2013 super bowl champion, Seattle Seahawks, which is one of the best defenses ever. It's it, I look at it. And if I say, what's the best combo for us, Phil, well, guess what? I've seen stuff break down on the offensive line. I've seen us not have great offensive lines and us still be a well above average offense because of the players we got and because of Russ. So if we get that smothering defensive line, yeah, man, I like that a lot. I like what that brings to the table. I'm gobbling that up. That, that, that gazpacho for course one, that's my choice. Tasty. I got to yes. go the other way just based on, I think back to that. 2004 2005 offensive line for the Seahawks Ooh, that was that and, was great oh man man I love that and I would love to see what Russell Wilson could do paired with something like that and making it easier on Chris Carson and then just you know laying on the points and uh just watching the Rams not be able to get to him yeah Aaron Donald just being frustrated all day I'll take it. I do like that. I do like that idea. We did talk about Walter Jones kicking out around the corners, you know, freeing up Sean Alexander for, you know, 10, 12, 20 yards. That would be, that would be a sight to be seen again. So I like both Phil. I like this, I like this version better. <laughs> this is nice. Yes. Just a Matt. Yeah. And it is horrible. No, there's nothing more frustrating than when your defense can't rush. But then the only thing that might be is when your offense can't protect and they can't get it third and short. So that would be a tough one to choose. I got FOMO on either one of those. Maybe it's painful to have to choose, but I would just love either of those. Okay, so what'd be next? Clutch or playmaking? Yeah, because it's a it's I'm, I'm peaked by the category. I'm gonna go with clutch. 
Clutch. Okay, this is a really, really simple one. It doesn't, when you hear it, it doesn't sound like I put a lot of thought into it, but just I'll just kind of let you guys roll from this. Okay, you get to have a total clutch offense. You count on it or a total clutch defense. In other words, we're ahead at the end of the game. They're going to stop them. And it's, you just throw that uh, magic wand down by maybe in your server, you have it on the order, then you know your defense will shut them down at the end or you know your offense is going to score when we're down by one at the end. What would be your most tasty way to bring the pain and watch the other team lose at the end? If I if I absolutely know that being down, that the offense is going to come back, I've, gosh, I've almost become desensitized to it because I feel like that's what we've had for over these last few years. We already have it. Yeah. And, <laughs> last uh, year we had a lot of clutch defense, didn't we? Didn't we have a lot of, like the defense was did, bad? Yeah, and it, was, it was actually a little mix of both last year. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I went offense last time. I'm sticking with the offense. Heck with it. Wow. He's sticking with the offense. I, I. I like it. I, and my brain went to where you went. I'm like, I think we already have that. And again, I'm going to gravitate back towards, I love a good goal line stand. I like defense. Defense is, that's, that's the more fun part. If I could see, you know, Cam Newton try to, try to get the ball in from the one yard line and kind of go head over heel heels and tears for fears, follow with that. He stopped at the half yard line and we're scrambling off with another victory. Give me that mm-hmm. clutch defense because you know, I, I could also, this is pain games. So if I'm looking back at that, that 2012 uh, playoff game versus, versus the Falcons, like I, yeah. I realized also that, that had a lot to do with the play calling there. That play calling was atrocious. That still bugs me with that. I want that clutch D that's going to make that stop because I look at this offense and I go, I think we can hang with mostly anybody and we don't, I don't want to be the team that has to come back. It's great that we do a lot. Let's get out of that and let's be the team that's up by six and they got the ball and we know our dudes are going to get through with a sack. And we did see it last year. We saw Dunlap close out a couple of games. And again, I'll talk, say again, I love this defensive line we're cooking up. So let them cook. Let them be clutch. All right. Final course. Maybe you guys are, you guys have uh, chosen the opposite on both. Maybe you're taking my wife's approach where it's like, you're just going to order something. Make sure the person you came with orders something different. Then you're going to taste a little bit from the other plate. I'm getting a feeling you want to, uh, I don't know, that, that, just throwing that out there. I have a different theory real quick, Phil. The, the fact is that Brandon is actually an animated cat and I am Paula Abdul. So there's that. Take two steps forward and three <laughs> steps back. <laughs> we come together. My goodness. <laughs> I guess that's, what, that's, that's why it works. That's where the balance comes in. Okay, so here one, you won't be able to just choose one or the other because we got three choices on the menu for this one. So we're going to have to, something's not going to be tasted on this table at all. Um, For playmaking, and this is differential dominance, the 2021 Seahawks in their differential dominance because we are bringing the pain. You have three options. Stack differential. In other words, we sack way better than we protect. Okay. That brings the pain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Turnover differential. In other words, Mm. we take the ball way more than we give it. The other choice would be explosives. We're very explosive, but we don't give up a lot of explosives. And I think for Coach Pete, it's like 12-yard runs and 20-yard passes, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's a little shorter passes. But uh, explosive differential which would you choose for bringing the pain we dominated in sacks, turnovers, or explosives? 
Mm, all right. I, I think it's it's it, my, my turn as this goes. Um, and this might be a bit of recency bias, a two-factor recency bias. It's the last one you put out there. And I'm also, my brain's just going to, I, I, like, the, I like the explosive differential. And my brain's also hearkening over to like that Buffalo Bills game. Buffalo, they kicked the crap out of us last year. It was it wasn't close. Yeah. And all I all I remember is, you know, Stefan Diggs, like 20, 30 yards at a clip. Just like we could not stop them. And that was at the start of our slide where we also couldn't go get the explosive plays. So I've seen the the reverse of that. And it's bad news bears. So I want, I want that explosive differential. And, and to me, it's like if we had that, I think we win a lot of ball games. Yeah, I think you won me over on that one. I, I was leaning hard toward turnover differential because for the similar reason with the Buffalo game, turning the ball over. But if you could put your offense on the field, have those explosive plays, and, and the differential is the other team has to dink and dunk their way down the field, hmm, is that more <laughs> valuable than turnovers? Brandon, I think you have to go get a four-pack of the pink gum Stuff, stuff it in there, <laughs> chop on it for at least two minutes, and and then think about like what would Coach Carroll do, and then then what, then what would Brandon do? Yeah, if, well, if, Coach Carroll, I know he is all about the ball, so that that's true. that is why I lean turnovers. So if if I'm if I'm chewing the gum and being like Pete Carroll, I'm going turnovers. <laughs> I, I think I yeah, I think I brought you towards that. That's funny. I think a chef, the chef cooked up good options. If it's hard to choose and you want all of them and you can't make up your mind, that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. I just hope the Seahawks can do it. You know, I want, I want them to bring the pain. I love to watch it when there's just nothing the opponent can do. You just feast upon that. But when you go to a game live, when you go to a game live, I think that the clutch defense might be the most fun thing to, to experience and just watch the other team that gets, gets stuffed when they, when they were hoping for it, but yeah. uh, or maybe like yeah. a, a tipped ball interception in the end zone, oh, <laughs> something like yeah. that, right? Just something Those like could... that to, to to blow blow the entire stadium up with with pure joy. But I know Phil, you, you make a good point though. I do think that's actually unto itself an interesting question. Like, what's the most enjoyable? Like, you know, the, the most you're on pins and needles, and you get you get the most out of it situation. And I do think it is a clutch defensive play and Brandon, you, you, you framed up the best one we've ever had in, in our, you know, our history. Right. So that moment of like relief and release and what it meant versus like any other play. I, let's put, let's put it this way. What was more exciting, right? The, or more meaningful or just brought more joy, the tip and the interception by Malcolm or the touchdown by, by Jermaine curse to, to win it in overtime versus the Packers. Like those are, those oh, are the that two is tough. That was really tough. hard. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> Those tough are one. tough, that's but tough like one. which which one was actually actually you were even that much more fired up, right? We're talking about upper, upper, upper echelon in the history of the Seahawks here. If I'm a Packer fan, the most frustrating play was the onside kick, though, wasn't it? I mean, that had to be the most painful experience. If I'm a Absolutely. Packer fan, was that Absolutely. special teams play? Yeah. That yeah. was because yeah. the curse play was such a buildup then over the course of being down multiple touchdowns and just feeling like that game was hopeless at one point. I don't know about you guys. If I'm watching my team, the most maddening thing in in all experiences of sports is when you cannot rush their passer. I don't know if you guys agree, but if I, if their quarterback just stands, stands there with clean Jersey looking around to throw to, I mean, it's, 
it's impossible to enjoy. That's the most painful thing is when their protection is solid and you just can't get to it. I don't know. Maybe I'm way out there, but that that's me. That made the first half of last season as painful as it was. Yes, I mentioned that. Even though the offense was cooking. Oh, it's awful. All right. I've taken up enough of y'all's time. Thanks for playing. Yeah, Phil. Great job with the pain games. All right. Well, I gave I gave a hard time to Juan, who's who's a 49ers fan in the chat. So I feel like we should close this out with a question from him. Bye. He says, what do you guys think about the rivalry between Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson? Um, is there one yet? I mean, that, other, I guess other it, than one's the first overall uh, pick and the second overall pick. So I guess, you know, as I much mean, yeah. as. Rick Meyer and Drew Bledsoe, I suppose, could have had a, a rivalry. Sure. Or... I mean, but just, you know, Clemson, BYU. I'm, I'm just seeing, like, did, did they go to the same, like, uh, QB, whatever that QB Elite 12 camp, whatever that thing is. Maybe, maybe maybe they were both there. They didn't, like, they you know, one guy threw a little tapioca at the other guy and, and muscled his nice hair. I don't know. I don't think it's, uh, I, I think it's an okay question. I just don't think it's there yet. And, uh, you know, you got Jacksonville and the, and the Jets, they're not natural rivals either by any stretch. Um, let's let's put it this way. I hope it evolves into one that's like, you know, maybe three seasons from now, you're getting like a Sunday night game with those two teams and there's something there and, and they're, they're both cooking that that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. But for me, Brandon, it's 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 not a it's a it's a TBD on that one. Well, we'll get to see those two quarterbacks face each other in uh, December on December 26th this season. So. All right, day after Christmas, everybody's there. But you know, the, the NFL is no dummies, right? They look, they look at the calendar and say, everybody's you know fat and full and happy, and and probably a few beers in or whatever they're doing, uh, a couple of eggnogs, and it's most people are most folks will be uh, be home, and the world gets to watch the one and two go at each other on on, on that day. You know, they, once again, the NFL knows how to uh, how to craft a story. So good job by them. So I take back my little bit of snark and say. I am looking forward to that December 26th game. Yeah, as Jeremy points out in the chat, the RG3 Andrew Luck had a big media rivalry. But uh, in terms of a rivalry on the field, that never really played out. But I, I think, well, with those three quarterbacks all kind of vying for the Rookie of the Year title, and of course, RG3 earned that his rookie year, but then Russell turned out to be better than all of them. Yeah, by by a lot, by a lot as well. So, which is which is probably where where we should land a Seahawks podcast. What do you say about that? I say let's get on out of here, Clinton. And with that, there's only one thing left to say: Go Hawks! Go Hawks! <laughs>